Professor Brain Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash thevulnerablescientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Hi everyone, welcome to the Vulnerable Scientist Podcast. This is your host, Sarnia Kerry, and today I have Cecilia with me, who will be the guest for today. And I'm particularly happy about this and excited to know her story. <laughs> Cecilia, how are you? Good, Sarah, how are you? I'm good. I'm so excited, by the way, to have you on this podcast. And um, can you, could you tell someone who doesn't know you who you are in brief? Yes, and thank you for putting this together. It's exciting, too. Uh, I'm executive director of the Center for Science and Technology Innovation, uh, which basically means uh, we're trying to figure things out like everybody else. Um, we focus our role in Kenya. We're a UNESCO-associated center, and our role is focused on circular economy innovation and bringing together the uh, research community and the industry to, to, in other countries, the, the link between industry and academia is pretty strong in Kenya and Africa that's still developing. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to, there's a lot of research talent uh, in terms of basic research now to get that applied towards uh, designing things that are useful and can make money for graduates like you as well. So how did you get here? Like exactly, can you tell us the story of how it started? Like from, I don't know, high school? <laughs> Whichever place you want to start from, how did you get here? So I would say first influence is having parents who are chemists. Uh, mom uh, passed away last year, but she's, uh, she was a biochemist. Mm -hmm. Dad, uh, Professor Wandiga, is an inorganic chemist. He's well-known in Kenya. And so I grew up not knowing that it's not normal to have a chemistry discussion at the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I thought all family discussions centered around science. <laughs> I got to high school and I realized, um, uh, you know, you start, uh, I think when you're in high school is when you start becoming more aware, uh, probably in primary and secondary. Mm -hmm. You're just talking to your friends and having fun and nobody really knows, you know, oh, that's what your parents do and my parents do this and, and you know, it's not a big deal, but yeah, when you get yeah. to high school is when you start realizing sometimes even within your own family, like, oh, okay. Uh, it, it's, it's when we have a lot of educators on both sides of the family. Mm -hmm. So that was the unifying theme umbrella. Uh, we could always talk about education in different contexts. 
Mm. what you learn uh, or shouldn't learn by watching the television, uh, what you what what's what the homework assignment is, things like that. Uh, I think the biggest adjustment for me was when I went to undergrad, uh, University of Connecticut. So um, there was, and it was good. It was a good uh, adjustment. It was my first uh, public university or public education space. Mm-hmm. And it was my first exposure to realizing it. I mean, there was something that friends laugh at now at the time. I'm sure everybody in the room was aghast. Uh, they were asking uh, who was a first-generation college student. And, uh, I'm the oldest. It was my sister and myself. Uh, my sister's five years younger. So uh, mm-hmm. out of the two of us, I'm the oldest, and I was the first to go to college. So I raised my hand. I'm first-generation college. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. everybody was looking at me like she has gone crazy and, you know, what a, a perpetrator. Whoa. And I was like, what did I do? Mm-hmm. And a, a wonderful friend of mine who actually finished her PhD, I'm still working on mine, mm-hmm. she pulled me aside and she said, they mean first person to go to college. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm answering. She's like, no, no, you're not getting this. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. She's like, they mean first person in any of your family lineage to go to college. I was like, that's not possible. <laughs> oh, my goodness. she hugged me she's like you do realize that I'm one of those people I was like I was like I think you should go ask your family I'm sure there's somebody that you don't know that has graduated from university oh and she's God. like I'm very sure there's nobody wow, wow. and so um that was an awakening for me and I called both of my parents and they were like yes and I was like, you never told me this. And they were like, <laughs> because they both teach at university. And they were like, we didn't know it was something we were supposed to tell you. We thought you knew. And I was like, I never had that as a mental model. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that, wow. yeah, that, that was a first awakening to how easy it is to be in the same space, talking about the same things, having fun, Mm -hmm. and having a completely different lived experience. Mm -hmm. And understanding how your lived experience then shapes how you interpret. And simple things like um, if you're trying to do your statistics homework and Mm -hmm. there's nobody who's ever taken a statistics course, how do you know how to solve that when you're stuck? Yeah, yeah. You can't. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, I started realizing how much of what we think is our sort of super intelligence, I'm so smart, is actually learned behavior from others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that carried through for me uh, through undergrad. Uh, when I went to, then I taught for two years, and and it was back at the 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 school where I'd done secondary or high school, uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, Episcopal Cathedral School in Pennsylvania, in sorry, in Puerto Rico. <laughs> uh, so U- University of Connecticut, uh, a high uh, primary school was here in Kenya, Westlands Primary, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know. Uh, Episcopal Cathedral, which is in Puerto Rico, it's private also. And then University of Connecticut was public. Then I went back to teach for a year and realized teaching, my parents are teachers, but teaching was not my thing, even though I loved the kids. Uh, So I applied for a master's and went back into a private education environment, which is Carnegie Mellon University. And at the time, so the, the, the university has changed in, 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 in shape a little bit, but at the time it was still emerging from uh, a merger between Carnegie Tech and Mellon Institute. And the idea of bringing the two universities together, with the two institutes together, educational institutions, was to create... Uh, sort of an MIT Harvard for the manu- manufacturing sector in the Pittsburgh region. So it was a collapse of the steel industry, mm-hmm. and there was a need to have an economic shift to something else and also redefine what manufacturing is. Uh, uh, if it wasn't steel and coal, what was it going to be? So it was a very exciting time to be there because now the region is diversified in terms of it shifted to its biotech. And there was also a lot of uh, environmental cleanup going on. Uh, uh, Some of it spearheaded by what's called the Allegheny Conference, which is a private council, just like Kenya Private Sector Alliance. And uh, they issued the call for just having a more clean, livable space and and industry transformation. So it actually, uh, I know in the current discussion on climate change and environment, industry gets a bad name, but there are places where industry did initiate the the transition to cleaning up without uh, uh, lots of lawsuits happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So... uh, that that was also the recognition that when there is sort of a a, a crucible event, uh, collapse of a, a an economic base for a region is a crucible event. It is possible for groups to come together, and 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 it was communities and and uh, academics and and private sector, mm-hmm. and to make transformation happen with very sort of staged milestone goals, like let's first um, stop the emissions and then let's, uh, and, and visible, like um, one of the sim- visible pollutions was, you, it was called the a, a, like a two-collar town. If you had a white collar, you had a removable collar. That was in the heyday of the steel industry because by midday, your white collar was gray or black from the soot in the air. Mm. So, yeah. So to be able to then just say, 
why can't we, you know, call to action, let's just have a one-caller town where it's the air is so clean you don't have to change your collar anymore. Um, from there, it was then analyzing and making sure that even though the air looked clean, mm -hmm. that it was actually clean, that you mm -hmm. weren't, there weren't, weren't toxic substances. And then from there, it was also River Life. There's a River Life task force and, and looking at, so there were strategic points that were chosen and as vis things that everybody could relate to. And by choosing those strategic points, then it, it was easy for different groups to come together. Uh, so it's much the same situation we're facing now in terms of uh, climate change. And that is when, and even though I told my parents I'd never study science mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, I did social science, I didn't do natural science, yeah. uh, all the questions came up and then kept on coming with chemistry questions. And they were, they were like, well, maybe if you'd studied chemistry, you wouldn't mm -hmm. be calling us with questions. <laughs> Wow, wow. So uh, fast forward to that, I did um, a work in city planning and consulting and uh, lived in Pennsylvania, of course, Pittsburgh and San Diego. Mm. And that first experience came back to me about what if uh, hearing all this uh, leapfrogging possibilities for Africa and saying, you could leapfrog from, you know, brown tech to clean tech. And what is leapfrogging? So it's jumping over. Okay. So okay. Uh, right now, let's say if we had uh, petroleum-based fuels, we could theoretically just jump into hydrogen fuels if they were ready. Okay. okay. And so I said, but then I remembered that experience uh, in in college and I was like but if nobody has seen what these companies you know what do you do in a company that does that on a daily basis then how do you make the jump right mm -hmm. if you've never you know if you've never worked in a bank mm -hmm. on the financial side and mm -hmm. somebody says we want financial reform what are you going to do you have uh, no idea what exactly. <laughs> and if somebody were to tell you uh, business chemistry or you know uh, biology is as a business mm. if you've never seen it if you've never even heard of it how am I going to ask you to leapfrog into that if you've never been in that environment mm -hmm. okay so that's that's sort of trying to be that glue and bring in uh, not only to have the conversations and get people to uh, voice uh, on the African side, get scientists and the community and practitioners to voice what the challenges are. But then once somebody says, uh, I've never, you know, this is missing. Or I saw this in the U.S., but I don't see it here. Or I saw this in Germany, and I don't see it here. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out how do you make that space come alive. 